Hello everyone, welcome. We are live right now in the Cannabis community. So shout out to everyone who's watching us live right now on uh, Cannabis. We really appreciate you all joining us over there. Uh, today we have a great episode for you. We are interviewing Michigan Matt. He's right up there. He's uh, with his company Waverly. They're out in Michigan growing a bunch of dank weed and we're going to be talking about uh, everything that, that that comes with that, whether it's uh, the farm and, and what he's doing in the grow and then what it's like being a cannabis uh, business out in Michigan right now at the end of 2022. But before we get too far into it, I have a couple uh, business matters to handle. First, I want to shout out our sponsor, Tiki Madman. Uh, Tiki Madman is a sponsor of the show and he really helped us out. So we need to thank him and you can uh, help us by, uh, by thanking him by going to tikimadman.com and grabbing yourself some genetics. He, Tiki is breeding with some of the latest and greatest strains out there. All kinds of different flavors. He's always drop, dropping something new. So if you need something, go check out tikimadman.com for some seeds. And then lastly, uh, Cannabis, our community, is now a members-only community. So that means that you can join our community and subscribe to us, and that is a great way of supporting the show and supporting the community. So use the code NEWYEAR. Um, all one word for 50% off and we would really appreciate your support and shout out to everyone over in the cannabis community so um off the top, we're going to um, give you a little bit of background on Michigan Matt. Michigan Matt is an original DGC member. That's a Dude Grows crew, if you're not in the know. He's a D original DGC, and he comes from the medical caregiver days over in Michigan. And he, um, we are super uh, excited to have him on. You may have seen him on Can of Cribs, which I didn't know that you had a Can of Cribs episode. So that's pretty awesome. Um, we are super excited to have Michigan Matt on the show. Welcome, Matt. Hey guys, thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me. What's up, Matt? Glad to have you here. Stoked, stoked that you could be with us tonight. Yeah, it's a little bit later on the East Coast over here, but I got an extra shot of espresso in me tonight, so let's see what we can do. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Well, I mean, we might as well get into it. Go ahead and uh, tell us how you kind of got started in the cannabis space and uh, what's kind of led you up to this kind of point in time. Uh, so the cannabis space in general happened in high school, obviously, I think for most of us and for some of us, our older crowd, we can remember the brickweed that used to come in for the younger crowd. It's funny, the more and more you ask these younger guys, if they've ever seen the brickweed, they would, uh, they, they've never seen it. So it's like nostalgia for them. It's kind of interesting. But, uh, when I first had my first introduction to chronic weed, that was really my, uh, eye-opening experience to what cannabis really could be like in, in B4. And uh, 2009 is when Michigan went medically legal. And that's kind of around the time when I decided um, to grow. And I wanted to grow like the good chronic that I've been finding because I was tired of paying $400 ounces. And I honestly, for the first three years of growing, I didn't even smoke my own. Like I traded to get better than I had because I was so picky that my own wasn't even that great. <laughs> and then uh, slowly but surely kind of brought me to where I am today. So when you started out, did you like start out in uh, at, at home in the crib or how did your first grow, kind of your first medical grow? And what were you allowed to grow with a medical license or with a medical yeah. permit? So back then, uh, and honestly still you can do it now, 
the caregiver model is um, one, uh, or you can grow 12, plant, 12 plants for yourself, but then you're going to also have up to five patients. And for each of the five patients, you can have 12 plants as well. So you can have up to 72 plants. Um, and that was like, I, I, you can still do that now. I'm pretty sure. I don't think they've taken that away yet anyways. Um, but like for 2009 to 2018, before there was licensing and act, uh, that's really the only laws that they had was the caregiver model. So um, my start was in a little 12 by 16 shed in my backyard. I had a little two lighter with some, uh, the eight inch rafters, yeah, big old reflectors with the yeah, yeah. on the walls that yeah. used to cause interference in your phone signal. And... Yeah. <laughs> I've had those guys show up before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was, and I was doing that and I was, uh, growing just one cycle and, and harvesting. I tried to build a little bedroom out of it, but honestly, I, at that point in my life, I had never even grown a plant. So this was like all kind of new to me and I didn't know what I was doing. And I was completely relying on the grow store guy, the grow store guy that kind of helped me yeah. uh, learn my ways and learn how to grow. But, uh, one big thing that I've learned over the last 13 years is trial and error. And like the more experience you can have and the more times you can fail, the the better yeah. grower, the better, better, uh, just really, you can say this in life in general, the better type of, uh, experiences you can have. I would definitely say that consistency is, is something that takes a while to get into a stride. You know what I mean? No doubt. Yeah. Uh, consistency. Cause there's like so many different components that consist of consistency, right? Like, the whole pie is, is has to be consistent. And that whole pie has all these little subdivisions and each subdivision has to be consistent in its own right. And each subdivision of that has to be consistent in its own right in order for those components to be working properly. So like you can like so break that down so far into so many different pieces and uh, you can really, um, you can really start getting intricate about it. Excellent. Well, um, we're going to touch on some of that stuff as well here coming up. Um, but just in general, tell us about how uh, Waverly came about. So uh, Waverly, after I left my last uh, place of employment, I was actually introduced to the partners that I'm uh, I'm with now by a good grower friend of mine. And um, I was fortunate to meet the guys that I did. And they were fortunate enough to see have enough foresight in me and trust in, in what I had done up to this point, uh, being coming from some of the commercial spots that I was in before this, um, that they decided to invest in me. And when they invested in me, I knew I had a plan. I had a plan in place. I knew how to execute the plan. I just can't do everything myself. And I don't didn't have the financial means to actually get it done. So um, Waverly kind of came about... Um, with just some guys that, that they had a facility and they were being led astray by the, a wrong dude. And um, he was doing a couple other, you know, things that didn't really equate to proper business when you're like looking at state licensing. Um, so he was let go from his position and that's where I kind of came in and took over. And uh, they, again, they already had the building and they had some of the layout kind of already put down, but there was a lot of little uh, intricate details that had to be ironed out over the next year, it was a little over a year before we actually got the license going. So from the time that you kind of started on to the time that you actually flipped the light on the first plant, 
uh, how much time were you talking there? 13 months. 13 months. So that's yeah. a 13 month commitment that you had to make to build something just to get ready to rock. Just to get ready to rock. And the other thing about that, that was like end of 21 into this year. So, I mean, we're talking supply chain issues. We're talking labor yeah. shortages. We're talking uh, all sorts of things that you see. And then you, you have to play project manager at that point, right? You have to get guys in the right places at the right times and tell them how you would need things done a certain way at a certain time in order to equate to get the other guy there to get his job done at a certain time. And that's when I just keep looking at everybody. I'm like, Hey, I'm not a project manager. I am a grower, put a plant in front of me and get the hell out of my way. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot more to it. I imagine. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you put on uh, just a new variety of hats. I mean, as growers, I think we all know you have to wear a lot of different hats, right? Like, especially if yeah. you're coming from prohibition days or you're coming from days that you were scared about glaze. Because if your air conditioner came down, unless you knew somebody that was really good at air conditioning, you're having to fix that thing yourself. And you learn a lot and you learn about a lot about plumbing and electrical and mechanical and all these different things. So you wear all these different hats, but then you start wearing new hats and those other hats that you were wearing become bigger hats and they start all kind of falling off at the same time. Cause your head can only hold <laughs> yeah. so many hats at once. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. So uh, with, uh, with a new rec uh, type of license facility, uh, do they give you square footage to grow? Do they give you plant counts? How does that work? We are on a plant count basis. So uh, there's A, Bs, and Cs licenses, at least for the grow. Like there's different license types. There's dispensary license, they call them uh, sure. centers. And But as far as the grow is concerned, there's A, B, and C licenses, and then there's micro licenses. But uh, the regular A, B, and Cs, I think they're like 500, 1,000, and 2,000 plants. So and we're a class C facility. So we have, uh, well, we have class C in both medical and uh, adult use. So we could technically have 4,000 plants, but we're never even coming close to one of those licenses. Yeah, that's a lot. To, I mean, 4,000 plants is a lot, to, a lot to facilitate and a lot to dry and cure properly. Well, it's all scale. So, you know, kind of, we can kind of go backwards a little bit here and, uh, so for my little two lighter that I had in, in my backyard, my shed, you know, I went to a 40 lighter and ran that as a caregiver for four years by myself. And, you know, I always have a couple friends maybe come in and out once in a while to help trim, but everything else was done by me. So that was uh, a big scale up from where I was to where I'm at. And then learning how to manage that. And then again, doing everything myself, being in, trying to be quiet about it because, there's a lot of gray areas still in that law. So I didn't want to cross any boundaries, although boundaries were always crossed. But um, it, it just helps you with scale because everything is scalable. So once you kind of get a system in place, then you can kind of start multiplying it out. And we can kind of get into that, too, as we talk, start talking a little bit more about Waverly and some other the stuff that's going on. But uh, it's amazing how if you have uh, consistent data built, how you can use that data to your advantage and um, understand what numbers look like before they're even there. If that makes sense. Like going from wet weight to dry weight. Well, um, could you talk about, I'd love to hear you um, talk about a little bit about what you learned, maybe some couple few top lessons you've learned that took you from that small grow to these big grows. Cause 
you know, anywhere, anytime you change up your growth situation, there's new problems and things that arise. And so I'm sure you learned a ton going from two lights to 40 and then 42, what you have now. Do you have a couple of things that um, you could share? Because I'm sure there's so many viewers of ours that would love to scale up. But, you know, around those corners, there's a lot of challenges, I'm sure. Most definitely. That's a, that's a great question. And it could, we could spend all day talking about probably yeah. little things that, that could add up to that. But um, first things that comes to mind when you were talking was patience, you know, learning patience and having patience and understanding that some things are out of your hand and out of control. Uh, we can definitely get into my day today, <laughs> how uh, we're in the dry room and trimming today and the air conditioner stops working. And now you can't get the part till tomorrow. So now I don't have any air conditioning running and I got trimmers in there breathing. So it's getting warmer. I mean, I still have circulation going, but the actual compressor itself wasn't working. So we can talk about those types of challenges, but you have to also learn that some things are out of your control and out of your hands. Like microbial testing is a very huge thing. And we're going to get into testing, I think a little bit later, but yeah, microbial testing is one of those things where, it's one of those things that's kind of just out of your hands. And so if you can learn that patience and to take things in stride and take things almost day by day, um, I think you can really learn from each day. And that's what's the, the, that's like the biggest thing about scalability is and, and like kind of taking that next step is being patient, understanding that you're going to have challenges and being ready for those challenges when they arise. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, because I mean, I think anyone who's even started growing from even at the most simplest level understands that it's all about problem solving. Yeah, because in order to get a product like you said that you want to put in your bowl and smoke, uh, there's a lot of variables that have to be figured out in order for that product to come out in a way that you want it to come out. I don't want to sound pretentious, or I don't want to sound, or maybe I should even knock on wood at this point. You know, from what I'm about to say, but the plants are the easy thing at this point. Like the plants, yeah. like like the, if you have your systems in place and yeah. you have your procedures in place, the plants yeah. are the easy thing. Like that, that's the least of my concern. My concern right now are roof leaks, are snowstorms, are yes. power outages, are you know, the, all these other details that allow the plants. So there's, there's a, uh, a term that I really want to coin and somebody steals it from me because it's the first time I've said it public and so well, or so be it, but uh, you can't grow a healthy plant without a healthy room. And like to have a healthy room yeah. is like, there's so many different pieces of that system. Like that's, that's a, the whole system in itself is just the room itself. Right. Cause you have all yeah. the different components that go into it from, dehumidifiers the humidifiers the lights to uh, ceilings to, to tables and to pots and the, whatever else is in that room right there's so many different different little intricate details that if one goes out of place or one's out of whack then the whole system's out of whack right yeah. dehumidifiers go down then your humidifiers are over humidifying or you're, yeah. you're getting too much or if your humidifier goes down then all of a sudden you can't keep up with the humidity or if your air conditioner goes down or it's all these separate components that if one plays an effect it has an effect on the whole picture so having the healthy room to begin with the the plants like i said it just makes the plants the easy part well let's get into waverly and start talking about how some of these things go down sure where do you want to start uh let's start off with do you bring in cuts 
And if you do bring in cuts, what is your quarantine and IPM process? So, um, okay, so I'm going to be very transparent, and and uh, that's the type of person I am. I try to be as transparent as possible. I have Thanks. no reason to hide anything or to um, uh, be ashamed for anything that I do. I know that, and again, I'm not trying to like ego be ego here, but uh, I know what I do works, and like seeing my data um, go from one facility to another and still translate almost to the T. Uh, it gives me a lot of different types of confidences. So um, I guess where I'm going with that is that I'm also not a perfect grower and I only have so much time in a day and I don't have all the room that I would love to have. So I, yes, I have taken in cuts and no, I have not quarantined them. And um, there's a couple different I don't, I don't want to say reasons for that. that. That's the wrong things. But there's a couple of comments that I'd like to make on that. One, uh, one of the cuts that I came that came in was took second place in the DGC Cup. So the guy <laughs> that I think grew that one usually has pretty quality uh, background. And obviously, JR is that person. Um, the other person that I have sourced some, uh, some clones from is a reputable breeder um, that I trust. So I don't think that he would be putting anything in my garden that I'd be too concerned about. And the the last guy that uh, I have been working with, he has a, a, an extreme amount of data and testing that goes into his genetics and his cuts before he sends them out. And he has all the proofs and COAs with them. So that kind of gives me a little bit more um, security. That being said that only plays a little part in the entire picture because the other part of the picture is understanding that I have a very trained eye to what, know what to look for. Like I can see a plant from, from a mile away. And I know if that plant's not green, <laughs> yeah. there's a reason that that plant's not yeah. green. And yeah. what is that reason? Right. So we can spot, like, especially if you just stare at plants all day, every day, you can spot all these little deficiencies and spotting those deficiencies will help you. Uh, I'm, I'm again, I'm not perfect. And I have, uh, done some things that could jeopardize gardens. I'm not saying right now, but just over my career. And um, I've learned from those mistakes and just kind of try to uh, navigate those waters as best as possible. And I think now that nurseries are able to do tissue culturing and offer certifications and, you know, lab results from their cuts and stuff, I think it's going to build even more confidence in the cut market. And then if you have somebody that has built credibility too, like that's, that's another thing. Like, I'm sorry, if you put a cut out there that, that spreads HLVD or spreads something else that comes it's in nasty. the future, yeah, yeah like you lose your credibility. But if you're doing things right and you have good SOPs and you have things that are uh, black and white and, and laid out proper, and then you have continued uh, success with those people, then you might as well keep going back to them. I mean, nobody, again, nobody's perfect. Things can happen. Things can happen to anybody's garden. The best mm -hmm. thing for IPM or about IPM is about preventative care and preventative maintenance. Yeah. So the best yeah. thing we can do is prevent. If as long as we can keep preventing then, um, then we can kind of stay out ahead of it. But again, I'm not perfect either. There's only so much time in a day. There's only so much time in a week. <clears throat> so you are currently prepping a mother and clone area. Yes, we have a mother and clone area. Yeah, we grow some larger moms where I can get about 70 cuts off a mom with no issues. 
And then uh, for cloning, you're doing clone domes and yep. root rights. Root rights. Yep. Right. And that's just space saving, right? And ease of use. Um. Yeah. So both. Yes. I haven't really thought about the space saving because I can definitely definitely just throw some clones on the shelves, and I don't really use lighting for my clones. I just put them in veg and I use whatever light is in the area. So ambient light, for instance, I usually tuck my clone in the clones in the corner and whatever ambient light kind of hits it is good. Um, I mean, I, we can get right down into it. I don't care. Like everything I, I discussed this with you earlier, JR, everything that I have learned has been through DGC has been through trial and error. There's nothing that I've learned. That's a secret. So I'm not going to sit here and say like my SOPs are like all secretive. Like I shh, don't tell anybody that I'm doing this. Right. Like I'll tell you right now when I clone, I clone uh, with a root with root riots. I clone in a mixture of two mils Calmag, ten mils Clonex, and two mils of. For me, it's Rizzo because that's I use a canna. Uh, for other people, it might be like one mil of heavy sixteen roots, or what might be uh, one mil of mills, start or whatever. Um, and then I soak that overnight. I put the cubes in the room. So let out soak up overnight. So it gets room temperature. Then I transplant my clones into them the next day. I let them sit in the the domes for five days before I, or sorry, four days before I pop the lids. Then I pop the lids and start checking them to see the moisture content that's left within the, the cube itself. Then I wipe down the insides of the domes and then do that every single day from then forward. Typically, well, the fastest I've ever seen roots is five days. And I did that, or we did that, uh, with a clone run like two runs ago i'd never seen a root in five days that was the first time i'd ever see that six days is usually like one tiny little root will be coming out and the by day seven yeah. see some consistencies yeah. nice and so your room is uh usually around what humidity and temperature uh warmer in higher humidities so i like to run a lower vpd right so if, if i'd rather like almost talk in vpd terms um, we're looking at like a 0.7 to 0.9 range of EPD just because of the way that the, the equipment swings within the facility. Um, so we're looking at like 84 uh, degrees-ish, give or take one or two degrees, uh, or like plus or minus. And then we're looking like 70 to 72% humidity or so. Nice, nice. And now in uh, Michigan, it gets cold and dry there. Is it dry in the winter? You know, that's, it's, it's actually a common misconception. It's actually not as dry in the winter as people think. It is dry in the winter in general, but if you check the humidity, it was like 60% humidity the other day when it was snowing. So it's like humidity is still there, but the cold makes it drier. I don't know how that works. I'm not a meteorologist or a weather person, but right. it's the heat in the houses that are bringing down the, or making things more dry in houses. That's why you'll see like 20, 30% in a house because yeah. you have heat kicking all the time and making it dry. Um as far as the grow room is concerned, um, it, it really, for me, it doesn't matter what the weather is outside as long as I can do what I have to do inside. But, but to do that, you have to invest in the right equipment. One of my favorite pieces of equipment in our facilities are humidifier. And our humidifier is done by Cool Fog. And it's basically, especially West Coast guys or your, you guys from the South will know, uh, you go to the bars like in the middle of the summer and they have patio seating, but they have the little cool misting that, that yeah. kind of happens. Or you could like relate it to your produce section, right? That comes down yeah. and miss the produce every once in a while. Um, that's what we have within our facility. Uh, 
that like humidifiers, you know, some of the, what is the ideal air, uh, ultrasonics, you know, those are like a thousand dollars or something like that. This one was like 18 grand just for, wow. uh, I don't think I ever mentioned we, we're a uh, hundred flower or 48 light flowering rooms and a 60 light veg. So we're 160 light operation basically. Um, but that piece of equipment, um, it, like not only does it humidify the room but it's also cooling the room right because it's coming in at whatever the ro temperature is so the, the ro temperature is at 68 and it's coming in at 68 degrees and it's actually cooling we had uh just one air conditioner working in our one of our flowers flowering rooms when we first started up and it was a 10 ton unit for 48 lights but we were maintaining temperatures and we were like scratching our heads like we know these other two units aren't working how are we maintaining temperatures for 48,000 watts it didn't add up. It makes sense. So we grabbed a PPFD meter to make sure that our lights were working and they were all powered to a thousand. Like we, we could tell by uh, roughly 1100, a thousand to 1100 at, at canopy. And um, so we knew that everything was right. So the only thing we can contribute it to was the fact that that cool fog was, was misting the plants and misting the room as it goes. And we, we take very close look at leaf surface temperature so I'm, i've always got a temp gun in my hand looking at leaf surface temperature room temperature means nothing to me it's all about what the plants are feeling um yeah and with like the leaf surface temperature is still at like 78 to 82 like yeah. with only 10 tons running on 48 lights like i was like oh, this thing is amazing so you're saving energy cost too that's huge and then uh you know for a lot of people i think they use a lot of their like if they do have monitors um, they don't really put them right at the canopy and they're not, or they're not hitting their, uh, you know, like you said, the surface of the leaf with that gun to make sure they're in that sweet spot. Um, are you running LED in veg or are you still, you are, yep. uh, are you doing the 350 R's? Yep. I absolutely nice. love those lights. Those are uh, my absolute favorite lights on the market right now. Yeah. They put out a tremendous amount of light. Yeah, my understanding is that you've been trying some too. Yeah, I have cherry plomo kind of got mad at you. <laughs> yeah, my whole bedroom, I about I just about pissed off everything. I had everything backed up in a aero cloner, thank God, but it put me back about three or four weeks. But yeah, I mean, it was it was a learning curve. I mean, those things put off a tremendous. I'm at less than half power on my lights, and they're just loving it. Yeah, I mean, my plants are loving it. They've never looked any better. Never yeah, the, better the size of the stalks that I can get at 30 days is, is quite amazing for a 350-watt light. And honestly, yeah. like I, I, you asked me, do I power my lights to 100%? No, I never do. Like, I never yeah, get above right? 90. I, I have my 87%, and I never go above that because it's too much. Like, yeah. at 90%, I see the plants starting to stress. It's just too yeah. much for them. Yeah, HLG just sent me their 750Rs. And it's like, I'm going to have to run them at a third power because <laughs> I've got eight foot ceilings, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm going to pin them to the top and maybe run them at half at luck if I'm lucky. So like, we're very lucky to to grow up in the grow mouse and in, uh, was it mean gene or green gene that yeah, green have the, the uh, yeah. Uh, led talks, right? Yeah. And lucky yeah. To, to come up in like those, those talks and listen to those because uh, you learn so much about efficiency of lights and knowing uh, just kind of what the numbers mean on the box is like just such a, a step up because knowing that 
those lights are performing at 3.1 micromoles per joule, which means that the amount of light that the plant or the that the light is giving versus and that the plant's taking in versus what the draw is against the wall. Seeing the efficiency of that, then you realize that you don't need to run a 600 watt light LED and veg. Like you, you don't need that much light. Like you, you can just be efficient with it in the amount of light that you're giving it, and you can really dial back a ton. Like yeah. Home grows, yeah. You you want to save money and 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 cut your bottom lines, but it's nothing like a commercial spot, right? Commercial spots, you really have to think about every little intricate detail. And if I can cut and do my watts at eighty-seven percent versus ninety percent or versus a hundred percent, that's the amount of watts that I'm saving per day multiplied per year, which is going to equal amount of days of savings that I'm going to have my power supply, right? So like. Like another one of my things that I do is I shut my lights off 10 minutes before they are supposed to shut off. Like you go into your room at 11 hours and 50 minutes, the plants are already sleeping. Like yeah. you can see them, they're drooping. They're like, yeah. why, why does this look like, why did, why did it look so bad? Are they thirsty? Are they yeah. well, they're about to go to bed? So they've had their DLI for the day. So yeah. I, I cut my lights out 10 minutes early. And now what that does is gives me three days worth of savings of electricity over the course of a year. And when you add that all up over the course, that's how I lower my bottom line and still use quality ingredients to create a quality product. Yeah. And that was something I was going to ask you about because I've, I've heard, I've seen like with the, uh, uh, some of the stuff that was coming across from, uh, MJ BizCon, uh, like advanced nutrients was talking about having nutrients for $2 a gallon and, 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 and Athena I know is running really, low low numbers on their stuff uh can you kind of talk about that compared to maybe the style you like to grow in <laughs> if you really want me to i don't want yeah go ahead I, break I, it down i'm not gonna like say anybody's name or like put anybody uh any company like throw anybody down or put anybody's styles down to each their own and every grower has their own uh own style and own own thing that they do and there's so many different circles of growers that you don't even realize how many different types of circles there are in so many different yeah. types of cultures of growers and um so to each their own and if they if the um models that are out there i'm, I'm gonna carefully choose my words the models that are out there that some of the people uh are catching on to and riding trains on um are suitable for you then you do you and you can run your thing and it's going to produce some really high quality flour it's going to look really nice it's going to give you really good weight i'm not going to lie and it's it's going to take great pictures i don't know how it's going to smoke though i'm not saying that you grow bad weed i'm not saying that yours doesn't smoke good i've tasted some very good salt based mineral based grown flour but the important thing to realize as a small grower seeing the big growers only advertising certain brands is they, a lot of these guys have deals with those companies. And when you have deals with those companies, sometimes you can't say everything that you're actually using. And if you can't say everything you're actually using, then you don't actually know everything that's going into what's making that product. So you can maybe taste some of that product that seems like hey, it actually tastes pretty good. And that was, so-and-so that grew that with so-and-so inputs but you don't realize they also used these other things to help achieve that goal does that make sense yeah so totally 
getting no, a little thought, bit. I just thought, you know, at, at like <laughs> no, I'll get deeper. Yeah, at two dollars a gallon, how do you actually like? How so can that's, you that's another, to put out quality that's, nutrients at two dollars a gallon? It's another trick, right? Because the, the other trick is x amount dollars per gallon at x amount ec but everybody knows that when people are out there pushing different ecs than what the recipe says then all of a sudden you're multiplying that number up ah, okay so like there's just so many different like marketing tricks that are played on the small grower and it's not fair to all of them, but it's capitalism. Like it just is what it is in the long run. It's not just in the cannabis industry, it's in everything. So it's yeah. like we're reinventing the wheel over here or something. We just magnetize it because we were in the shadow for so long and now we're in the public eye and can be exploited basically because we don't want to be arrested anymore. We don't want to go to jail. So I'm not saying that everybody's exploited or <laughs> or anything like that, but I'm just saying like, um, you, you know, say and, it. <laughs> I mean, a company's got to do what they got to do. Companies come and go as well. I, I know a lot of different uh, nutrient companies that had this big hype train behind them and then all of a sudden disappeared. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of the, the salt based companies that were like that, but kind of going back to like running something like that, at least, you know, getting out of the ego part of it. Um, for me running, when I did run some salt-based nutrients, when by salt-based, I, I mean, uh, mineral, like actually mixing salts, not actually like liquid bottles. Um, cause I'm still a salt-based grower, but I use liquid bottles. Now I don't use like salts. Uh, actually there's a couple of things I want to talk about there. So one thing is like, and I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about this and, uh, wear masks when you're mixing up salts like guys like wear masks like not only that but like even once the dust is settled it's still in the room and if like this stuff is like super concentrated to be add just like a teaspoon a gallon to be good enough for plant use imagine what you're sniffing up if you're mixing some of that stuff up like that's not going to be good for you and if you want to be in the cannabis industry for a long time and you want to do this for a long time and use that type of stuff for a long time we need to like really protect ourselves and yeah. using the proper uh, PPE, like to do that type of stuff, is really important. Sorry, that was a little. Uh, no, I think it's really, really important. I mean, that kind of stuff wasn't told to us back in the day when they were handing us this, that, and the other to take care of whatever problems. They didn't tell us to wear respirators. They didn't tell us to wear gloves. Right. Um, I mean, it wasn't until Method Sevens came around that even wearing, so our eyes. Yeah. you know, glasses were even yeah. cool, you know. And now that I'm not using HPS, I'm using LED. I haven't even figured out glasses for that yet that I like. So it's you know Just you use really sunglasses gotta, for LED. That's all you got to do. It seems like it because I bought LED glasses and I didn't like what I. I Just didn't sunglasses. Like sunglasses. Yeah. Find for LED rooms. Nice. Get off my little soapbox, but uh, so like running salt based uh, the, or the the salt mixed nutrients. I don't know. I'm saying the wrong word. Anyways, you guys know what I'm talking about. Like you get yeah. a bag of salt and you mix it together with your water. Yeah, I just found that that stuff is so dirty and it like cakes up in the bottom of your reservoirs and it cakes up in the bottom of your pots when you start to get runoff and then it turns your tables white when you have to you know have all the runoff throughout the course of a cycle and. You just see all that extra salt and all that extra buildup. And you're just like, this is kind of gross. And then like uh, you run something a little cleaner. Um, and I'll, I will call out the company that I use. I use Canna. Canna is so clean. Like 
you mix up a, a reservoir of canna and you take the pitcher out it looks like hydrated piss water like yeah it, it's it's like clean like you could be mistaken whether actually there's something mixed up in there until you actually grab the pitcher and look at it uh, and that makes uh, such at least to me a, a big difference like in cleanliness when we have our runoff comes out of the bottom of our pots we don't have a ton of white buildup that you see you still see the media or like our tables are still clean when we're when we're uh, having all of our runoff throughout our, our entire cycle. And but so well, you're using you're using can all the way through veg and flour. Yeah, I mean, I use a couple of different inputs. Uh, uh, silicium uh, from five eight from yeah Jen. yeah. Um, uh, what else do we use? We use winter frost. We use recharge. We use uh, Cali magic. So it's not com the complete can of line, but for the base and the, we use the base and the boost and the Rizzo. Nice. Nice. And so now um, you guys have a, a team of people that come in and do a lot of defoliating at certain times for you during flower. Yeah. So we're only a two room operation in flower. So that means, sorry, there's a train going on behind me. I don't know if it picked up a little bit. Um, we have uh, two rooms. And so two rooms kind of puts us on a perpetual cycle of our, uh, roughly every 32 to 33 days. We're doing the same thing we did this, the last 32 to 33 days. So uh, January or December 15th was our first harvest. So January 17th is our next harvest. So, and it'll be continuing out like that. So uh, when we have that type of workflow, what we'll have is like twice a month we'll have weeks where we like don't have much to do at least when everything's like dialed in and everything's going right and the building's not leaking everywhere uh we have we have uh we get on these these cycles where we can take like a lot of half days or we can just make, go and make sure the plants are watered the canopy's trained and then we can get out for the rest of the day so we don't need a ton of employees for that type of work so we are operating 160 lights basically on three and a half guys so it's me uh, two full-time guys and then a part-time guy and um, and shout out to the team um, so the three and a half of us basically do everything on our day-to-day -day operation when it comes to doing uh, what people will call a defoil I call it a final prune like our big final prune uh, which starts on day 19 uh, we'll bring a crew of four girls in with us and they'll help us knock out like three or four tables we have seven tables in a room so we'll knock out three or four tables and then um, the rest of the week, just the three and a half of us will get the rest of the tables done. So like we'll bring a crew in for harvest, right? We brought in 15 people for harvest. So we can pull down 390 or 399 plants. That's our count, 57 times seven, 399. Um, we'll bring in 15 people so we can pull all that down in an eight hour shift. You know, we're not there longer than we have to be. Uh, I don't want to work every single second of every day that's just not yeah game. and i uh i want to be efficient and i want to be effective with my time and to, yeah. to do that sometimes you just have to uh, again extrapolate out your uh your labor hours and then figure out how many employees you need and then divide everything together and add it up and divide it again by two and your times it by two and everybody's on the same page <laughs> Wow. So it is a lot of, a lot of coordinating constantly. I yes. imagine. Yeah. Um, and so now you guys are, are part of the metric system. That's correct. Yep. So tell us a little bit about that lovely set of circumstances. 
metric is just a database. So you can kind of just look at it as a, a database that builds means and averages over the course of time. And then also is the tracking system of how you stay within compliance. Um, metric, uh, so you have to think like metric has everybody's numbers, right? Like everybody that puts a number into metric, they have everybody from any state that they have. So they get to build these massive databases and like have these extreme sample sizes that they can figure out what the means and averages truly are and then find the people that are veering from those means and then audit them and go after them. And that's kind of what the what we're seeing a little bit more of right now is uh, Michigan put a new... Uh, uh, head of the cannabis division and he's like a retired cop or something like that and he's been like cracking down and one of the things they do is they will go into metric and they'll see the database because they have a thousand grows let's say i don't exactly know what the number is it might be more than that by now and then they have all the data that they have from every single harvest of every single plant so they know what the average wet weight loss is and they know what the average this is and what the average that is and then they can take that data and find out why is this dude two percent off like, it just doesn't make sense. He's consistently 2% off. Or maybe that one harvest was 4% off. Like, what is that? And then all of a sudden we find out that these Cali packs just got busted, right? Or like something else happened where maybe more got added into the system. So, or some got taken out. I mean, it happens both ways. Don't get me wrong. Um, so metric is just, it's the means to stay within compliance, but it's also uh, a way for the state and for metric to build data that they can use almost against us and so then you're you you're tagging every single plant and and you're weighing anything that falls off and all of that kind of stuff yeah every plant has a tag every leaf that strip is supposed to be weighed every um stick that's thrown out is supposed to be weighed everything's supposed to be locked up afterwards like yeah, they're pretty, I mean, you need to stay within compliance and transparent. And if you're transparent with them, they typically leave you alone. They go after the guys that aren't transparent with them and that are kind of throwing up blockers to them. And So now uh, with you guys having a uh, caregiver system still in a medical system, are caregiver systems and medical systems allowed to bring product to the dispensary? So the only thing that caregivers are allowed to do that are tied in with the state grows now are bring and basically buy or sell genetics. Like you can sell genetics to the grows or sell cuts or um, like if somebody can grow a mom that can produce a thousand cuts, they could, they could metaphorically sell them, sell a grow a thousand cuts. Okay. Hypothetically. But they're not allowed <laughs> to bring in flower tested to the, uh, not anymore no they, it, it was something that was in in place back in like 2018-19 but that's just because supply and demand was so out of control like there was no supply and the demand was like through the roof because it just became legal and everybody wanted some so they allowed caregivers to sell to grows or to sell to dispensaries but as long as it passed testing that they could put it on their shelves but they cut that out like mid 2020 wow so, so um let's talk a bit about what's it uh what it's like right now in the uh, michigan market um we were going to talk about strains and and stuff like that but i um i'd also would love to just hear what it's like i actually just saw i think it was like an article in politico or something else that was talking about the michigan market in particular about um 
it sounds like like many states there's just a lot of weed going around in michigan right now and um it's a struggle in some cases so yeah i would love to hear from you what's it like right now in michigan as a cannabis industry or business so it's uh it's definitely a weird time i think just the cannabis community in general has hit its peak and like that like that's why we're seeing like a lot of fall off in grow stores and like all the grocery stores starting to close and some of them are reducing hours or how are you know starting to sell other things than just grow supplies um i think that the reason for that is like we've almost hit this plateau of growers um and then along with that we saw this massive fall off in price per pound i mean uh end of 2020 I, we there's the price we could still get it was even 2021 let's see i'm trying to think it's been a while and end of 2020 it was still like we could get 3500 a pound is on the state side probably even on the caregiver side uh yet it's still had a lot of guys from out of state still coming up then oklahoma did what they did and opened everything up and allowed people just to mass produce and that pushed a lot of the out-of-state guys that used to come here to different avenues to find things for cheaper so we're seeing the out-of-state caregiver market kind of affected a little bit more on that side um the uh, legal market is also flooded now because we have so many different grows that are on the online and and, and operational and the state is very underwhelmed on trying to police everything so things can still slip through the cracks and come into the system or again move out of the system um but it's 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 tough it's tough time and it's a tough time to start a new business to be honest with you so for us starting this when we are it, it's it's not advantageous to do so but as warren buffett also said be fearful when others or be greedy when others are fearful and be fearful when others are greedy so um we're kind of in this kind of in-between point where we are hoping that the fear is taking over so we can kind of capitalize on what what is happening and um what we are kind of seeing a little bit on the state side is a little bit of a rebound to uh the quality grower uh they're seeing like a, we're seeing a little bit better price per pound to the quality products you can still bulk at you know i've heard up to 15 to 1600 for quality products uh i mean it, you'll see it as low as 200 a pound i mean you'll see it's as low as some really bottom dollar but high quality can still bulk out pretty decently if you have the right connections uh but pre-packs are really where uh the industry is gone at least for my type of grow in the type of uh market and grower that uh, that we kind of pride ourselves to be uh being like this small batch crafts craft type farmer um we can still see prepacks. You can see those going for between 2,000 and 3,200 a pound still. So you can still get a good price on that, especially if you have a really good brand built and you actually have really good product and you have very good business skills because there's a lot of different businessmen on the provisioning center side that want to uh, get the best price that they can too. So right, um, there, it's definitely, I would say the craft side has seen a little bit of a rebound, but the, the market is just completely flooded still. Like it's still just overwhelming and you're still seeing guys are starting to see guys finally start to drop out because they just can't afford it anymore they did they saw 3200 pounds they can only get 800 or they hired a grower that came out of a basement that didn't know what the hell they were doing and can't run an operation like they thought they could 
So you're seeing like a lot of different failures happen. And a lot of these different businessmen that came from other industries tried to apply what they, what was in their industry to this. And some of it worked, but not all of it can apply. Right. So yeah. um, it's, it's just a strange time. I think two to three years from now, we'll really see this evolution and this, this curve kind of stabilize. But we're still just in this kind of weird time of... Um, of kind of like the seismographs kind of going like this still, you know, we're, we're seeing these ups and downs and these, these massive swings, but it will eventually start finding baseline. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's something that we went through here in Oregon as well. You know, we, you know, it's kind of like quality will still do well, but there is tonnage of booth. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Tonnage. Yeah, absolutely. And like outdoor, like tonnage, like, right. But you know, again, there's different circles in this industry that, uh, that require, you know, that type of production. That's just not the circle that I'm involved with. This circle that I'm involved with is more craft, more, like I said, small batch, more um, care about quality and flavor. So when you started Waverly, you know, since this is a new company and you just mentioned earlier the um, the importance of building a brand when you're building a company and, um, what does, could you break down a little bit about what that means? Um, I imagine there's many parts to that. It's like the flower itself has to be good. You can't, you can say your craft, but then it actually has to be, you know, of, of a certain quality. And then I imagine there's a particular amount of attention and care that goes into the, the jars and the design and all this sort of stuff. Could you talk a little bit about that, uh, about what does it mean? Like, yeah, you got to build a brand, but what does that actually mean? So fortunately... I'm extremely hyper-focused on the garden at this point, and I don't have to get into the marketing side too much where yeah. we have, par I have partners that are, uh, they have foresight enough to understand where my strengths are and to allow me to apply my strengths where they need to be applied. Um, marketing is not one of those strengths. Yeah, we we like, uh, we came up with Affluence Farms at first, but apparently there's like two nouns or two verbs or something like that. And they like, the marketing companies don't like that. So <laughs> that's why we switched over to Waverly. So we are Waverly now. Um, uh, that's, that, that's the type of stuff where I'm just like, it's like a little over my head, you know? Right. So as far as packaging and that type of stuff, you know, I definitely always have a vision and we all, I think as, a, uh, as a group, uh, between the, the partners and I have had this vision of this high quality brand. And that's kind of where Waverly kind of comes from, you know, it's like in reference to the, the nice, uh, shopping street, in New York, you know, so it's, it's in reference to high quality luxury. And actually I'm looking at some sample jars that I picked up at BizCon, um, we, we, we've been kind of like trying to find like stuff that's more appealing to, to certain types of customers. And it's, is like, it is what it is. There's 6 billion people on this earth. And we're like, just a, such a small niche of what the cannabis community is and what the cannabis market is. Yeah. Most people are still like enamored by Facebook and flashy things and nice things and hype trains. And so you kind of have to still play to that. And, um, that's where I like, I, when they asked me, you know, what do you, what do you, what do you envision for like logo or for like, um, like strain packaging? And I said, just nothing cartoon, like the, the cartoon thing for me is like, just so played out and all the like yeah, mylar bags and the runts and like, you know, we can get into Michigan, uh, what Michigan's heavy into. And just that run scene is like, it's all hype stuff for me anyways. And like, for me, like I'm more of a, I like the higher end tequila. 
you know, like I like the nicer things. I like the finer things, right? I like to, right. to go spend the extra dollar and like make sure that what I, I got to work hard for my money, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm always constantly wanting to spend my money the way that makes me happy. And like, if I, it's spending a little bit more to get the one in the nice glass jar, then that, that might be just a little more appealing. And like that side of marketing, like people still are on Facebook, staring at Facebook all day. And that's like the majority of the world. Like we can't kind of change what, mcdonald's and coca-cola and walmart and everybody else is already ingrained in our bread in our head or like louis vuitton and like dolce right. and gabbana right like we can't get away from what those have already kind of ingrained in the the subconscious of everybody already um so I, one last question that i wanted to throw at you real quick um was so you've built a grow then how do you get their your weed out to the to the store do you guys did you guys already have like distribution deals or relationships i should say from like past you know situations yeah yeah fortunately i've been in the commission michigan scene for a while so i i have a lot of different connections to different places that that can be utilized um however they in this scenario they don't necessarily need to be because we do also have other salespeople that are good at their jobs and have the types of connections that need to move a small batch type of supply you know cool. it's not like again we're not coming down with a thousand pounds we're coming down with a hundred yeah know? And so you it's guys built a, a team of people that know how to sell that distribute stuff. that yeah 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 and we're, we're when we when we're coming down with the harvest we're coming down with seven different strains over a course of 100 pounds so we're looking at like 15 to 20 pounds per strain we're not looking at like this massive number of pounds or strain pounds of one strain that we have to get rid of and how you often know? and are then, you do, guys doing those drops uh, monthly Monthly, roughly, roughly monthly. And then eventually we're going to get to the point too, where we're fresh freezing half of our crop. And then we get into the processing side, right? And then we start fresh freezing half the crop that now we're down to five to 10 pounds per product. And that's how you can control the price is by controlling your own supply and demand. You build your hype up and your demand up on your own side, Yeah. but you control the supply going to the market. And that's how you're able to still survive in a market like this. I think, I think there's a lot of, uh, like small batch breweries that kind of do those things too, where they do limited drops. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of hype around that particular flavor. People get excited and they come and spend money. Yeah. And, and, and that's where like uh, putting a proper team around me is always important because I, I'd like to get in my own way, <laughs> like in one track mind and I'll stick to one strain for a really long time. Where like in this type of market, you can't do that. Like you have to consistently be changing and evolving and and finding the new hype strain before it even hits. And if you can do that, then boom, you hit. Right. So yeah, let's talk about strains then. What's it, what are you guys growing? You, you just mentioned how many, like seven in a, in a harvest or a release? Yeah. So this, uh, this first harvest is going to be six. So we have cake crasher, grape cream cake, caramel apple crisp um strawberry guava accelerant uh in gmo i think that's all of them yes. so do you try to cover the range of fruity to gas to dessert or do you just kind of so like this, this crop was uh what moms i had available to me that were large enough to <laughs> fill the warehouse yeah. so right? that was that's like the first like four runs now that we actually have a good mom stock this is the, actually, so that was the first three runs. The fourth run, um, no, I was right, the first four runs. So the fifth run is actually going to be the first run that we do that 
I can actually select what I want in each room based on variety. So, it, you know, when I pheno hunting and finding strains that work within my system, the strain itself needs to work within my system. Like I, if I'm going to be, I, I'm going to be tailoring, um, or I'm going to want plants that can tailor to me as well as me tailored to them. So they have to be able to grow proper within my tables and, and within my system, but they also have to be able to uptake nutrients and, and, and provide the same type of recipe or be provided the same type of recipe that I can give everything else in the room. So I don't have to spend an extra hour just giving this one its own particular thing. Right. So I, I'm very selective in my pheno process in that as uh, that in particular. And then when it's going to come to like, actually start filling rooms, um, for me, it's like what grows well together, you know, what, what might eat the fastest, like what, what needs to be watered twice a day. Let's put all of those in one room or what needs to get watered every other day and put those in all one room or what, uh, what fills the canopy the best or what color arrangement can we get by the time we hit fade, that's going to look really cool. Right. Like our first crop, we put a nice yellow strip right down the middle with a lot of purple around it. So we were able to like manipulate kind of and get an idea of, you know, how the canopy could look toward the end. So there's a lot of different like kind of variables that go into it, but there's a lot of other data points that I use behind the scenes that also help me make those selections based on um, how well they pass testing or how much they yield. So like if I'm sort of trying to hit a certain percentage in a room, there might be a, a strain I want to use that is maybe an under yielder, but I can make that up by using a different strain that can still allow me to hit the weights in the room. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like if this totally. table is only producing 10 pounds, but I can get this table to produce 20. Yeah. But this flower is like the 10 pound flower is like, Whoa, like I can't not yeah. grow this. Then right. at least I have the other strain in the room that can make up the difference. So that way we can keep our revenue and keep our, uh, our cash flow the same. And I've, again, th I've sorry, been... I don't mean to interrupt you, Chair. But like, yeah, when you're running a commercial grow, there's so many other things, like I said earlier, so many other hats and things that go into it. Yeah. Because you still want to race to the bottom, but you still want to maintain quality. And you still want to maintain all these uh, certain baselines. So you can, at least for me, um, still bring that A game to the market, but doing it for the, the cheapest price as possible. Yeah, and that's, that's, I think, kind of the hard part is balancing that. And I noticed that, like they don't like a lot before it would be like you said, you could rock a certain variety for a few, you know, months or a year or so. And that was fine. But now people have gotten used to that kind of dispensary 31 flavors yeah. type of model. It doesn't seem like there's the ones as well, much so like, anymore. Like I said, I, I'm running GMO in my first crop and GMO is one of those crops that are plants that have been around for a long time and has definitely probably got worn out on a lot of people that's not something that I'll run every strain or every cycle. I might run it three times a year. You know, I might run it a couple times a year. It's not something that, for instance, Accelerant. Accelerant's a strain that uh, was a tester from Bloom Seeds and Harry Palms. And it's something that nobody else had, right? And I, I only the guys that also got that tester have that, unless he released it, because I don't know, because they, they don't ever tell you what genetics he actually have. But this plant, like, produces awesome garlic or, like, GMO funk and, like, I know personally because I pop these seeds that nobody else has this strain. I have that strain coming up the first five, five harvests. Like I'm just pumping that one out because first of all, for me, it's my favorite. <laughs> like, so that makes it easy on me. Right. But second of all, um, it, it hits all the numbers that we need to hit. Yeah. Yeah. GMO. It just seems like people love it. Um, I, one of the things I, I, 
just thought of is um I saw I think it was headset one of the companies that does like data tracking in the industry they released they released a list of top strains across the industry in terms of sales and uh blue dream was still one of the <laughs> at the top you know it, was, it was it wasn't number one but it was in the top like five i think and blueberry was t- <laughs> up there and some others but yeah it was interesting to see that there's still some of those classics that still sell super well yeah it, it's uh there's some nostalgia to some of it like I, I would still love to probably do Gorilla Glue again in the future or GG4 or whatever yeah, yeah. in the future because that thing like it was a bread and butter for a long time I, I'd like to see what I could do with it now versus what I could do with it back then you know? yeah yeah so I think some th- of that older stuff's going to come back around I know yeah. some of the breeders are starting to bring some of the older stuff into some of the newer stuff to try to bring some of the older stuff back around That's yeah cool. but like the, I think to me uh, the true oldest stuff like the stuff like the skunk VA and the the roadkill skunks and the uh, Duke Diamond stuff, like from like the real old, like real skunky stuff. Yeah, I I wish that they could be brought back somehow or found somehow. I'm on this like everlasting, ever. Uh, I'm on a very never long ending. journey, never yeah. ending. <laughs> Thank you, journey to find uh, find like a road skill roadkill skunks. I think I had it at one point. Cause it just lingered in my car for four days after like I had like, yeah. an eighth, like I literally had like an eighth, like it wasn't even that bad. My buddy comes in my car four days later. He goes, why do your yeah. car still smell so bad? I'm like, dude, that's yeah. the same weed. Like yeah. I haven't had anything else in my car since then. Right. <laughs> so I'm yeah, like on no, this ever, ever ending journey of trying to find something like that again. But, uh, but the, the stuff that's say in the, the or the past the ox the two the, the tens plus right 2010 on yeah that type of stuff we could definitely come back yeah yeah interesting um so now now that you are having uh this facility you're learning to manage people as well uh and uh, can you talk about maybe some of the positions that you hire for and maybe some of the starting wages for some of those positions yeah sure um so I've been managing people for a long time, actually. Uh, this is just like now I'm doing it in the cannabis industry. Um, it's it's always important, like to start off with knowing that like your team is everything. Like if without your team, you can't like do anything else. Like I can't be hands off in the garden without a team that knows exactly what to do with the way that I like it and the way that I know how to do it. And it like it, it can bring challenges in, right? Because you. You want to give other growers opportunities too, but other growers can also try to bring their own style, their own way of doing things in, and that doesn't always compute. So it's like communication is such a, a large uh, a large thing that, and, and something that's needed from top down. So that, that way, like everybody is on the same page and everybody understands what's going on. Um, in entry-level position, like for us, uh, I could take anybody that's uh, that has been in the cannabis industry or anybody that hasn't and probably get the same results out of them because of the way that I like to train people and the way that I like to um, kind of teach them my ways. But it's important that, or it's always been important to me that I take my team with me to the top. It's not just me that gets there. I can't do it by myself. Um, it's the people around me that allow me to get there. And putting those people around me that give me ideas and stimulate me in other ways that I wouldn't necessarily be stimulated in before um, is extremely important too. And that 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 starts at the the entry level guy. 
uh, the entry level guy who's making between 15 and 18 bucks an hour and they're grinding out your day-to-day work, but they're seeing plants on a day-to-day basis, just like you are, they can maybe point something out, or maybe they have an idea of how to improve a process and be able to hear him out and listen and, um, uh, and possibly incorporate what the, what they can bring to the table. Did I answer your question? Yeah. So like, uh, like, so if you have like a lead grower, uh, what is one of your lead grower? I know you kind of are working that out privately, but I mean, in, in your, in your industry, in your yeah, situation. So in, in my situation, we don't, I, I have a number two, but I wouldn't uh, like, Brian, please don't take offense to this because I know you're probably going to watch this. Brian is my number two. He's my right hand. And like, I, I'm extremely grateful for him. Um, most uh, guys that are in that position that um, are in facilities that are larger than three, three person crews are probably making 50 to 60 grand a year. Um in other situations, obviously, in smaller situations where I'm so hands-on like I am, especially to start, I kind of take on that role along with the owner, along with a lot of different roles. Yeah. I mean, again, Brian, you do great work. I appreciate you. Um, I couldn't be where I am without some of the shit that he's been in and helped me through. Um, I can't go to BizCon. I can't do Vegas without, you know, right. guys like that's help. Um, so I'm totally not trying to take anything away from him and, and the rest of my crew. Um, but... That said, um, I kind of encompass all those roles right now. And I, I it's important. Sorry, this is where I was trying to go with that last kind of long-winded statement. Um, I, it's important to me that my employees know that they can't have my job, right? Like I'm a partner in this company. I have equity stake in this company. I can't go anywhere. I'm not going anywhere unless I fuck myself over. Um so they can't have my job necessarily, but what I can do and provide to them is as much knowledge as I have in me and get them trained to the point where that they can go out and get their own opportunity, just like I have. And that's right. what I try to instill with every single crew member that comes in. And I try to train every single guy the same way. So that way they know that they can go on to the next job and excel. Or if we maybe expand in the future or get bigger or so they, they can take on another role that, that would expand their uh, expand their capacity where they're at with me now. And so a lot of companies and a lot of facilities are looking for eventually maybe the big buyout. Is that something down the road that you guys are, uh, looking forward to, or you just kind of want to stay in your lane? Um, at the end of the day, I don't have enough equity to control what happens in that lane. What I all I can control is what I can control, and if that is an avenue that the group decides to take, then I'm along for the ride because I've now set up three different grows from the ground. Well, the second one wasn't necessarily ground up. I kind of jumped in halfway through the project, but now this being my third one and actually going through the entirety of the process, I can go out and do there and do this twelve more times. Like I have the confidence that I can do this over and over again. Because I know exactly what I want, how I need it. And now I have the numbers to back it up. And I've done it multiple times in different locations that I can back it up to. So um, if somebody wants to come around and buy us and we just want to go turn around and do it all over again, sweet, let's do it. I have other aspirations throughout my life to than just being a 100% grower, you know, until I'm 70. But I definitely have a solid 15, 20 years left left in me. <laughs> yeah, you so. do, buddy. Yeah, you do. 
I just turned 53 and I hope I got at least another 10 in me. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Well, I'm, I'll never stop growing. I just have, I have uh, dreams of other areas of the business that I'd like to be in, but, but the, the country hasn't even uh, evolved to the point to allow it. Yet, yeah. So yeah you know yeah, that's totally. where like i'll spend the time doing what i'm doing now until we get to the point where there can be coffee shops in every corner yeah i feel like the last couple of years have been a little bit of a wake-up call in the sense that i felt i feel like we all thought that things were going to move a lot faster than maybe they have you know what i mean like i, th I think we've seen that probably national something on the national level is still probably a ways away <laughs> and um okay. yeah, and yeah so there's still a lot of like a lot of shit that needs to be worked out across every single state and the whole country and everything yeah i think uh i don't want to go down so political soapbox but i think it's important to realize that uh, there's so many people affected within this industry that politically it would be a political disaster for somebody to come in and, and mess this all up so we're going to continue to evolve and keep moving forward with what we're doing in, in, in the community. It's just time catching up. And then we're going to see this massive societal shifts at least over the next 10 years or so Yeah. Um, with, you know, supply chain issues, with labor shortages, with so many different things that are going to play an effect in everybody's lives, but it's going to play an effect in the cannabis lives too. And, um, as an entity and as as a part of the community to be out in front of that is and be prepared for that as best as possible is really the only thing that we can do well that's kind of one of the hard questions that we ask people you know it's uh it's a declining price and product it's over taxation without representation and then it's uh, uh you know usually predatory lending so what out of those three things what are you doing to kind of prevent all that from uh, sweeping you out from under your feet <laughs> um having the partners that ha can do part of those things and not have to rely on anybody else but me personally um gaining as much intellectual capital as i can that can carry me forward and be able to do this in like again like i could set up another one i could branch out and help people i could um, do a lot of different things now but experience is everything like i i i know 250 harvest is not a lot not a big number to a lot of the people out there like that that's nothing to a lot of people but for some people that's like holy shit i can't even do that in my lifetime so trial and error and figuring it out and then creating a system and then being able to replicate that system is like everything and that's where scalability comes in too and um so for me to answer that question uh i just have to stay as far ahead of my game as possible i can't ever think that i'm at the top of my game or that's what, like, when i'll be passed right so uh and I, I i'll be honest like i i i post on instagram but i'm i'm never on instagram like i'm never looking at other people's stuff or doing because i'm so hyper focused on my own thing and what i have going on um that that's gonna allow me later on in life to be able to uh, avoid those obstacles that might pop up Nice. Excellent. Yes. We've really answered a lot of really like uh, good questions that a lot of people maybe wouldn't have been willing to answer. So I super, super appreciate it, Matt. I really I do. think we could do this for another three or four hours and we could really get into some things, but yeah, I know. I, really, I know. I really could. I, uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm also, I'm 37 years old now. And the analogy that I keep making in life is at like 30, I stopped eating hot wings and I know like Brad dude, you know, he likes his hot foods and stuff. Like some people like their hot things. And I, that, that's not me. That's not what I do. Right. I don't, I'm not about to eat a hot wing to torture myself for the next three days. Like it's just not worth it for me. So I decided that at some point I'm going to do the things that I enjoy and the things that I like. And I, I'm going to start being honest with myself and open with myself and the more that I can do that, um, the uh, the better off that I'm going to be because I, I don't have to fall into hype trains. I don't have to fall into uh, propaganda or any of the other shit. I can stay within my lane and I can handle what, what I can handle within my walls and realize that everything else, again, like, I, like we said at the beginning of the, of, of the interview, um, everything else is out of my hands. Right. I can only control with it, what's underneath my roof and whether that roof's the business roof or the house roof or whatever roof that is, everything else is out of my control. Sure. Seems that way. No doubt. No doubt. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for joining us uh, tonight. It's been a blast. Um, I know people in the chat enjoyed it. Crazy pot mom said that you've covered a lot and it's been great. Um, and then, uh, nay said that you've been dropping facts. Um, so, um, yeah, shout out to all of our cannabis members. Again, uh, you can join our cannabis community, J download the app or go to our website at cannabis.app and use the code new year for 50% off your membership. You can even do a uh, monthly at $4 and 20 cents a month. And there's a three day free trial on that even. So come on in and join the community. We'd love to have you. Um, and also shout out to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash cannabis, which is where you're going to be able to watch this interview as well as a bunch of past interviews. One of the ones that I was thinking of, Matt, when you were talking was our interview with Scotty from the Dude Grow Show and Real Growers. And Scotty kept saying over and over about the, uh, the importance of building a great team. And so you made me think of that when you were talking about that a lot too. So uh, make sure to check out all those uh, great episodes. Um, but Matt, can, let me uh, throw it over to you. Actually, give us all your shout outs. Where can people learn more about what you're up to, Waverly's up to, and anything else that you want to shout out? So I might not be on Instagram much, but I still do posts on Instagram. I'm Michigan underscore Matt. We are Waverly Weed Co. Um, that's basically the only place you're going to find us right now. Uh, we will be, let's see, today is the 28th of December. So we'll be through testing, hopefully, by early next week. And hopefully, you'll be able to find Waverly on the shelves at some local dispensaries. Uh, but stay tuned to both pages to find out where, where those dispensaries are. Excellent. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, yeah, awesome, man. We'll have to have you on again uh, sometime. I would love, we didn't even get to talk about Ohio. I was just in Ohio and everyone basically told me if you want good weed, you need to drive to Michigan. That's what <laughs> people told me. Um, so yeah. I'll tell you what, people in Michigan will not tell you to go to Ohio to get good weed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, we'll have to catch up with you again, uh, maybe sometime in the, in the spring or, or towards the summer or something like I'd that. We'll catch too. up with you again, man. Uh, we had a blast tonight. Thanks, everyone who's watching live. We hope to see you again soon. Have a great new year. Holy shit, it's going to be 2023 in just a couple days. So, shout out yeah. to everyone who's listening. And uh, we'll see you again soon. And uh, thanks for watching tonight. Happy New Year's and Growers Love. Thank you.